aside from the pandemic, uh, it's been an enormously busy year because um, the U.S. Congress, surprisingly, has been very active in the areas that touch our lives professionally and personally. And uh, we had a, a major election, which was a big deal. And we've had pretty substantial social upheaval this year. And all of those things have combined uh, to have to kind of create some really sometimes heavy and sometimes um, interesting and exciting topics. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. We're doing well. We're, uh, we're probably like everybody else, just sort of making our way towards the end of the year and, uh, and do, doing what needs to be done to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sticking close to home for the most part. We're not really doing a whole lot outside of the house and just trying to stay warm. And I know anybody who's listening who recognizes that um, we live in Southern Arizona who's um, questioning whether or not you actually need to stay warm <laughs> um, when you've grown accustomed to 110 degree days in the summertime when it becomes 60 degrees uh, in the wintertime in the afternoon, you're cold. Very cold. Yeah, you're cold. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We finally turned our heater on for the first time yesterday. I was holding out. I'm like, all right, how long can we go with my little space heater and just bundled up in the house? But my I, my threshold was if the house got below 65 degrees, that's that's way too cold at that point. And yesterday morning, I heard the heater kick on. And I always love that first heater day. You know, you could smell the, the dust burning from throughout the year. To me, that just reminds me of, all right, it's holiday season. We're towards the end of the year. Like you said, very chilly. Yeah. I, I don't uh, shrink from it. I just I just embrace the fact that I like to be warm. I don't like to be cold at all. So I, uh, you know, I throw the jackets on and the sweaters and the beanies and I, I get bundled up at a pretty low threshold. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and sometimes when I'm having these sort of like temperature conversations with people who are from colder places, they like to tell me like, well, you know, what's the temperature? So I tell them, temperature, you know, it's 60, 55, whatever. And they're like, well, that's not cold at all. That That's warm. Like, yeah, I know. I know. I've lived in the mountains. I've lived on the East Coast. I know what a nor'easter is. I lived in Ukraine. Like I know what cold tundra-like weather is. I've lived in cold, but I'm still cold. Mm -hmm. This is Arizona cold. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still accustomed to the desert living. I've done the other thing. I understand what that's about. And like, it's a whole different level, but it doesn't change the fact that my body is telling me that I'm cold. Yeah. Well, especially too in Arizona, when you get the, just the huge temperature swings, right? Where last week we were still in the eighties and then this week we're barely in the sixties. Now it's finally freezing at night. It's like, okay, that was a big switch. It wasn't a gradual. It just got from hot to cold very fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for confirming what I was thinking. I got you. I got you. You've yep. got me. We'll <laughs> As a native Arizona, I got topic. you on that one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Unbreakable on this topic. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember the uh, when I was in Banff, Canada before, we were there for a ski trip. And I guess we went there like the, the perfect week. I mean, for us, again, 
freezing cold. All of us were from Arizona. Um, I think it was like highs in the like upper thirties. And they're like, this is such beautiful weather. I went outside in shorts today. I'm like, I literally have three pairs of pants on right now, just so we could get to the restaurant. Like, no, it is freezing. They're like, well, last week it was, you know, like below negative or something and you know, below zero. I'm just like, okay, that's no. I don't leave the house at that point. That's, that's insane. Yeah. It's a whole different world. It's a whole different mm -hmm. world up there. I, well, and then, and, and then I get told by my Canadian friends when I tell them that, that I was in, you know, Calgary or Banff and I was freezing, they'll be like, Oh, it's not cold there. Well, you know, <laughs> where it's really cold is in Winnipeg. That is where it's really cold. And I'm like, look, I get there's relativity here, but I was freezing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I so pre pre pandemic, I would I would take several trips to to Calgary to see friends and colleagues and things and um, have fun and and uh, I would usually go in like April March because that I just knew people were going to be in town. Uh, whereas if I go and although I I've been up there in the summertime too, it's very pleasant. But if I if I I knew if I had gone in like a, a holiday season that people might not even be in town, so I'd go in April or May and I'd take off from usually Phoenix, direct flight to Calgary, and the, there's the dogs, uh, <laughs> direct, flight to, direct flight to Calgary, leave Phoenix and it's like 80 or 90 degrees, sunny, drop into Calgary and it's like cloudy and 40 and drizzly. Mm -hmm. This is just a whole, it's a whole different world. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, got, you got to carry that big heavy coat with you while you're still in Arizona and people look at you like you're all weird and you're like, okay, mm -hmm. but my destination. I need this. That's right. That's right. Well, it's been a uh, it's been a heck of a year. So yeah. uh, at at this point, anybody listening to this, we will have ticked off forty one episodes this year. Somebody was asking me uh, the other day when we started the podcast. First of all, they didn't know that we were doing the podcast, so that was I had to inform them that no, we're we're actually doing it. And then and then they were thinking that we were just guests on a podcast. I was like, no, 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 it's our podcast. Um, and, but I had to go back and look and we, so the first one that we did was April 7th. So between April 7th and December 31, we will have done 41 episodes, slightly more than once a week. And I think our goal initially was once a week. Mm -hmm. So we've, uh, we've met our goal in, in that regard. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of people too. I, I like to tell them like, this wasn't a quarantine project, right? We heard about a lot of podcasts yeah. being started up because everyone's just stuck at home and why not start a podcast? But this was something we've always wanted to do, and we're going to continue doing it whenever we get out of quarantine at some point next year, because um, it's just fun, right? And we're, like so we've said before, we're, we're geeks, and we like to talk about geeky things. So it's, for us, it's a nice little hobby on the side. Yes, hobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, then, uh, well, the same person I was speaking to was asking me about like how we do the editing and stuff. So I thought maybe uh, in terms of, of today, maybe we could go over like the, the technical stuff, how we do it. And then this and then, which is not to say that it's like this is the brilliant best way to do a podcast because I, I probably be first in line to say that it's not but um, kind of how we do it the mechanics and then recap some of the major topics that we've covered because it has been a doozy of a year most years in our in our area of the world are pretty boring not much changes this year was the opposite mm -hmm. so like okay so um, I usually get I usually get asked or, or guests will comment about equipment and things you know what you need so 
you know, I think the the technical setup is actually pretty simple. So for anybody that's thinking about doing a podcast or being on a podcast, the technical setup is quite easy. So you and I both have the uh, Blue Yeti mic, mm-hmm. which goes for, I don't know, what was it, two or 300 bucks? Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if that and um, it just plugs straight into your computer and basically then from there if you have a program that can record anything it gets recorded straight through the mic and we use a zoom based platform for recording so everybody's used to that now and you know I'd say good chance that 90% of the world understands how to get on a zoom call and record it <laughs> so that's that's what we do and then um, although I would like to get to where we use uh, the video files and we, we make better use of the video files. We're not quite there yet. We haven't really been there this year. So we take the video, convert it into an MP3. So it goes from an MP4 file to an MP3 file. And then the MP3 file from there is just the audio and we can edit it. And we use Audacity, which is a free open source audio editing program. It's a pretty good program. And uh, I would say we have like the minimum level of skills needed to edit audio files through Audacity. Yes. <laughs> the basic, uh, what, the, what the first, you know, like five to 10 minute YouTube videos tell you, that's, uh-huh. that, that's our skill level. I would yeah. agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if anybody goes into YouTube, they're like, Audacity editing how, or how to edit in Audacity, enter the first video that comes up. That's probably all that we've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very much, but it keeps it authentic, right? Because like, like we just heard your puppy in the background. We've heard mm. my pups in the background. And I mm. think that, you know, our, our basic level editing skills keeps it original where we've got the family members involved as well. In, in That's right. Like, yes, we are actually locked in our houses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> With everyone else. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, uh, once we edit the files, we use, uh, well, you, we have two different things. I don't know if this is just us or this is just the clunky way that we do it. But, uh, so we have a, a subscription with a website called Blueberry. That's a podcast hosting website. So you just load up your podcast to their website. They track metrics to the extent that you're looking at metrics they they host all of the files on that website and then from there we link it to our web page which is a wordpress web page and wordpress then has its own plugins that link you out to various aggregators like apple Podcasts, which is really the main one but then you can set up an account and and get looped in with stitcher and podbean and you know, Google podcasts and and all of the other um, podcast aggregators that you can think of. But then from the web page, it's basically a blog post with a link to the Blueberry URL. You get that through Blueberry. And then the most important part is the graphics. Yeah. (laughs) Which we have such artistic skill. Yes. Uh, But the graphics are it's it's a fun way we we use canva um to do it canva is a free tool however you can upgrade to their premium version which we have done which is absolutely amazing so mm-hmm. worth it mm-hmm. um i think it's like what it was 10 or 12 dollars a month for the subscription it didn't matter it was worth every penny yes they give you tips they give you all these other templates 
and it's it's easy you could do it on your phone you could do it on the computer if i'm doing little editing i like to do it on the desktop just because it's easier with a mouse but mm -hmm. if you need to quickly create something just do it on the app from your phone and then you download it as a picture and go from there you know with all your social media apps it's super easy to use and you can it's not just for you know little images for social media it's you can create a poster on there you can create again like the image for our website which is a different you know dimension there's all these different other tools that you can create so that when you start expanding on all the different social media platforms it can expand with you mm -hmm. yeah canva is amazing canva is another one where i kind of feel like boy we probably just have like the the top youtube video level of skill in using canva because it's it's an unbelievable resource they have so much available i mean it's just stunning and it looks nice you don't really have to do a whole lot other than pretty much use their templates because their templates are so nice mm -hmm. um all right and then um from there i guess then there's the uh, promotional piece of getting the word out that you've done an episode so we're uh I'm trying to think, um, well, at least in my mind, I, you, I don't know if you agree with this or not, Rachel, but in my mind, probably the main avenue for, for promoting the, the podcast episodes to me is LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. That is really where our network is. Well, I mean, not exclusively, but that's where our network tends to use social media and follow us. Um, but we also post on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, I just don't think that's really where our network is following us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think too, and depending on, um, you know, the the age level of our followers, you know, sometimes with with LinkedIn, I feel like LinkedIn a lot. Just most most people, I feel like, have a, a professional page, obviously, on LinkedIn now. Um, but a lot of people, depending on their age, don't have a professional page, say, on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. That's their personal page and they just prefer to keep it personal. It's only for family and friends. They don't want anything to do with work um, or their, their career. And so and that's completely understandable. So I think that, you know, with, with LinkedIn, again, that's, that's how we find most of our followers. But, you know, if people who are just interested in this area, you know, in the world of, you know, you can get a bachelor's on Google and a master's in YouTube, get, being on social media, you know, and, and people just learning more about whatever topics that's how we can also find different different demographics is by reaching out on all the other different platforms yep and yeah and it's all it it all makes sense i mean i you know through linkedin i have thousands of connections quote unquote connections you know mm -hmm. on twitter i have less than 100 followers so <laughs> you know it's just like that's just not really where uh, our people are hanging out as you say, it's more, you know, if people have a, a Twitter page, it's their personal page. It's not so much their professional page. Although there are Twitters, like every social media uh, uh, application, there are little little nooks and crannies within it that are very focused on some very specific topic. Um, and that, yeah, that's probably it. And again, that's probably not to say, or it's really not to say that that is the uh, best way to do podcasting. The But the other... Um, the other question that I get a lot, I don't know if people are asking you this too, Rachel, is whether we do all of our own editing. Mm -hmm. and we do. <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, again, that may not be the smartest thing, but uh, this year, 2020, we've done all of the editing. So every single episode we have edited. And uh, people very uh, adroitly usually figure out that like, well, that must be a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, it is a mm -hmm. lot of work. 
It's a lot of time. <laughs> it is. Time. That's uh, that's weekend morning time for me usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even with you know the the level that we have of editing, I think still you and I are both just perfectionists, right? We we want everything to come out looking great, and so for us, um, that's one part of the time consumption of editing. But it's just you know you it's you listen to a podcast. Our episodes are between thirty to thirty minutes to an hour, and so you got to think you're at least editing for thirty minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. You, for me, I feel like usually double or triple that time, and that's how much time it takes me to edit an episode. Yep, me too. Me too. Yeah, that's it. It's it's the you could use Audacity and use some tools in Audacity to do some just like surface level edits and then be done and not even go through and listen back through the episode. I don't usually do that. I'll usually do the surface level edits. Then I'll go back and listen through the episode and touch up anything that needs to be touched up from there. Um, and then there's also like adding in the intros and the, the music and the outros and everything like that. That that doesn't get done on its own either. So, mm-hmm. And I think it's a good point to you know to, to point out right now a lot of people ask about the music so you know there's a lot of places you can get it for free or you have to you know pay for it because you know artists have rights to it you've created all of our music they are well and well originals that um so that's been really great for us and so you know some of our uh, listeners may know we've, we've changed it throughout the year because we're tweaking it, but luckily we've got a, our, our own artist here. So we can do what <laughs> we want with our music. I'm waiting for those royalty checks, Rachel. <laughs> can't, can't wait to get my hands in those residuals. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so we kind of, we went the cheap route and got the, got the free music here, but <laughs> Yeah, that's, and that's not to say that, again, that's the smart way to do it because that takes time too. And, um, you know, it might be even smarter to just pay an artist to get, to get some actual professional music to put on a podcast, but it's not the way we've chosen to do it. So that's the, that's kind of the rundown for anybody wondering. Um, yeah, that's really been, and, and thematically here, if we're talking about sort of 2020 and what's happened and sort of the recap, the way that fits into the theme is may not be that way for listeners, but for us, that's been part of our 2020 is just putting all the pieces together and figuring out how to do this podcast thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still, like you said, it's, it's work in progress, right? If anyone has any other tips, any other podcasters out there, we're welcome to hear them. But for us, it's, it's worked so far. It's got us, like you said, 41 episodes in so far. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Uh, the, the nice thing about doing something on your own is you can do whatever you want and you can change it whenever you want. So we'll do that. We'll make changes. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about some of the, the biggest topics of the year. Because again, it's been a real crazy year. Aside from the pandemic, uh, it's been an enormously busy year because um, the U.S. Congress, surprisingly, has been very active in the areas that touch our lives professionally and personally. And uh, we had a, a major election, which was a big deal. And we've had pretty substantial social upheaval this year. And all of those things have combined uh, to have to kind of create some really sometimes heavy and sometimes um, interesting and exciting topics. So the first one that sort of kicked off the year, this was actually before we even posted any podcast episode. The first one that kicked off the year was the SECURE Act. And so, and I don't remember what SECURE Act stands for. It's an acronym. 
but you know, they love to come up with acronyms in Congress and then we all forget about where the acronym came from. Uh, so I've du dutifully done the same for the SECURE Act. I can't tell you what it means, but uh, for anybody that might recall, the SECURE Act changed the rules on retirement accounts. And the big change being that outside of a narrow little subset of beneficiaries on a retirement account, if you're a beneficiary in a retirement account, you cannot stretch out distributions from the retirement account over your life expectancy. You're limited to a 10-year stretch out period, again, with some limited exceptions. And that was a pretty big change, kind of a sea change in... Um, in the retirement account arena. And I think what sort of escaped people's attention, it actually was a pretty major tax increase on um, sort of middle America or middle-class America, because it's really middle-class Americans who have retirement accounts that are, sorry, that are substantial parts of their portfolio. And so if you force beneficiaries to take the money out sooner, meaning they're going to pay tax on it sooner, you're just jacking up the prices tax-wise on, on those beneficiaries who are middle-class people. Yeah, exactly. Um, looking back at it, you know, you and I, we talked about in, in another episode, we had the secure stretch trust, um, which, you know, you coined and, and talking about how you incorporate this, the, the new law with the SECURE Act into trust, if someone say puts a retirement account into their trust. And so how do you work with those rules now? So again, your beneficiaries aren't taxed right away. You can try and defer the taxes for the longest period possible. So there were so many intricacies with that law. And it's crazy to think that that was at the beginning of the year that we were looking at that. Yeah, we thought we thought on January 1, that was all we were going to have to worry about. But then on March 27th, Congress passed uh, the stimulus package, the so-called so CARES Act, which actually was part of a series of uh, congressional actions. But in the CARES Act, which is, again, an acronym that I don't remember what it means, um, and I'm not even going to feign to uh, to try to guess what it means here. But the CARES Act did a couple of things. One, it created the the payroll protection program, the PPP loan program. That was probably, in my mind, that was probably the biggest um, change and the biggest uh, opportunity for certainly for clients in the profile of our clients who tend to have small businesses or family family owned businesses um, because they essentially could get a tax-free, interest-free loan from the government to cover certain costs, largely being payroll costs, although not exclusively payroll costs. And you, you might remember uh, when the CARES Act came out, the idea was basically that by June 30, the CARES Act would have injected enough money into the economy to sort of keep everybody afloat until we could get a handle on the pandemic. And June 30 was sort of the target. And when you looked at all the due dates and things in, in the CARES Act or the PPP loan program, it seemed to be targeting that June 30 date. And that was somewhat the discourse that you were hearing from uh, the powers that be. Of course, we got to June 30 and we did not have a handle on the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. It's a uh... It's just getting worse, um, but we have a vaccine, but yeah, the, the numbers aren't looking good. And so that's why we have right now, you know, a lot more um, talks about another stimulus package coming out with Congress and then working back and forth on how much this new package should be. Um, I completely agree with you that the PPP program was definitely, I feel like the, the biggest contributor or the, the biggest like 
thing in, in that package. You know, a lot of people, of course, got the, the checks from the government, the $1,200 stimulus check, which, you know, they think that, you know, that, that affected them personally. But really, when you think of small businesses and keeping all these small businesses afloat right now, the PPP loan program was definitely one of the biggest things. And then after the PPP program, then you started hearing the news about, you know, bigger companies that we wouldn't consider to be a really small business, but they fit the criteria. Um, so that was in the news a lot. So that was a really big one that we kind of broke down and, and, and really tried to really figure out exactly um, how this can help our clients and what they can do to try and get and attain some of these funds. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the other things in, in the CARES Act that was critical was the um, shoring up, I guess, or kind of propping up of the unemployment benefits programs and injecting in an, an additional $600 from the federal government into unemployment benefits certainly made a difference in, in our state, which is one of the cheapest states when it comes to unemployment benefits. Um, we, we are close to the bottom of the list of how much money we will pay in unemployment benefits. So then adding on that $600, which was a multiple of almost three times what you can get from the state uh, was, a, was a big deal. And I kind of heard two different sides to it. One was that it really was helping a lot of people who who were unemployed and, you know, but for getting this extra injection of cash, wouldn't have been able to say make rent or or pay for groceries or or other basic needs. Obviously, that's important. You want people to be able to pay for basic basic needs in life. Uh, and then the flip side of it being business owners complaining that they couldn't get uh, the workforce to come back because they were making more on unemployment than they were making in the business working. Now, of course, logically, you could also just pay those people more money and that would incentivize them to come back. But that, in the conversations that I was having, and I include family members in, in that a uh, group of people who are having these conversations with me, that was not the conclusion that they were drawing uh, on how to solve the problem. Yep. I, I definitely remember all those conversations for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think a, a other really big piece of the, the CARES Act was all of the, um, I guess you say like po postponements of evictions, things like that. So that, you know, during this harsh time right now, landlords can't be evicting people um, for not being able to pay rent. Um, that's a big thing right now that's going through Congress on, you know, how, if this should, how long this should be extended for, if it should be extended at all. Um, so we'll see what happens with, with another stimulus package. Yeah, we'll see. It could be that by the time that we actually post this episode, there is a new stimulus package. I, I mean, I actually think two things. One, it's, it was inevitable. We need another stimulus package. It's just, mm -hmm. it's sort of a no brainer until we can get enough people inoculated with the vaccine uh, to really open the economy back up. Uh, you, you have to help people somehow. And so it was inevitable. The fact that it's taken this long to, to get an, a second stimulus package is a bit distressing, but it um, it ties in with the next topic. That was the big topic during the year. That was the the 2020 election. And um, although every four years we have one of these elections, this one seemed like uh, it lasted eight years. Yeah, it was a crazy election. Am I mistaken, or did it did it begin like eight or nine years ago, and we just finally concluded it? It just felt like it. Yes. It's been I'm around like forever. It's been ramping up for sure. Yeah. I feel like with with the pandemic and all the issues of how are people going to be voting in this election, 
then, you know, getting a lot more states to do mail-in voting. Arizona, we've done mail-in voting forever, so nothing for us, you know. But, um, you know, and then, and then you have all the people who may or may not disagree with mail-in voting. That, that I feel like, was a huge ramp up in this election. Of course, just tensions were, were super high this year. And there was a lot going going on. And, and for us, of course, you know, there, there's all of that going along with the election. But we kind of really focused on what changes could the election bring. You know, you've got um, the CARES Act that had been passed. That was a trillion dollar package. So the government needs revenue. So for us, we're looking at, okay, what has to change to get revenue? The tax code might change. And so we analyzed the Biden tax plan. We looked at Trump's tax returns in there with the election. So there's a lot about tax that was thrown into the election that, you know, kind of really, I feel like led up to kind of where we are today and then what potentially the, the future could hold. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, aside from the, the normal election season fervor and, uh, and wildness uh, that can that can happen, we really tried to focus in on the practical stuff, the, you know, what is actually on, on the list? What are people actually proposing to, to do in terms of like making changes, particularly tax changes, because that seems to be where Congress goes when they get the scalpel out to try to, to make some changes. And uh, there were a lot, uh, you know, Biden has a pretty, a pretty robust tax plan. Obviously, we, we kind of know what the Trump plan is because we've got the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act from 2018 but that wasn't necess- it wasn't necessarily the case that Trump I think was done making tax changes I think Trump had he won and had the the Republicans regain control of Congress they would have come back for more tax changes as well so you know all of those sort of real practical things uh, were important for us to cover it feels like we covered them every episode but it, it I know it wasn't ep- every episode but it just felt like for a while there that was all we were talking about mm-hmm. yeah there's there's so many little things right it's, it's analyzing what these proposals are it's seeing what is going on at the current moment. Um, predicting what the future could bring and planning for all of that. Right now, you and I are just buried in all of this end of year planning that, that still just consumes our lives. And it's just because we, we need to think what could potentially happen and how is the best way that we can protect our clients for any of those outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been interesting um, kind of legal angles too on the election, you know, sort of looking at a lot of the arguments that have surrounded the election, certainly since it has concluded and some of the, the legal cases that have been filtering through the courts. And um, all of that's been very interesting to us, uh, putting on our lawyer hats um, and, and just kind of, kind of watching that play out and kind of having the perspective. So for example, when um, the Texas case was going up before the Supreme Court of uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, um, as soon as I heard about that case, I already knew what the outcome was going to be. It was going to be a standing issue. You mm-hmm. don't have standing, Texas, to complain about the election outcomes in other states because you, Texas, are not harmed by another state's election outcomes. And turns out I was right. That's exactly what the Supreme Court said. Um, you know, like it or not, that's like the thresh, the threshold question uh, that you have to answer for every court in every court case, regardless, doesn't matter if it's the Supreme Court, you first have to answer for the court, do they have jurisdiction to hear your case? And part of that is, do you have standing to even bring the case? And if you can't answer that question, you're not going to get into the courthouse and the Supreme Court's no different. So it was a pretty predictable outcome 
I am certain that the lawyers who were bringing the case were well aware of that outcome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it's funny, during all of the, the court cases, I feel like it kind of went back to first year of law school when we all had to take constitutional law yeah. <laughs> and you got to, you had to learn what are the requirements and where do you have to pass? And it was kind of explaining to, uh, you know, friends or family members, okay, if this is, this is kind of the, the, the thresholds that you need to meet. You again, you have to explain what standing is, why you need to have that. Um, but I, I completely agree with you. It's they, they were being ad wonderful advocates for their clients, you know, advocating, advocating um, very, you know, fervently for their clients. But it's you, you have to. There, there are certain legal requirements you have to meet when when you bring a lawsuit. So I agree with the outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just have to recognize that sometimes lawsuits are a message; they're not a lawsuit, and that was a message. Yes. So exactly. And there, there's been quite a bit of those, and it's been very interesting uh, to watch. I don't think uh, there was ever any possibility that they were going to be able to overturn um, the election outcome. And you know, there's going to be some some objections raised in Congress when they bring the electoral where they, when they certify the electoral college uh, outcomes in Congress, but those are going to go nowhere. Democrats did the same thing in 2016. There were objections in Congress to certifying the election for Donald Trump. Those went nowhere. These are messages. These are not uh, outcomes. And so, you know, that's where we are. And we're going we're gonna to have a new administration in 2021. And we don't know yet what's going to happen in the Georgia runoffs, but we could end up either in one of two places, a split government on the federal side or a totally democratic controlled government. And I think in, you know, the message being or the, or the, the thing to understand from that for me for 2020 is that the outcome of 2020 of this eight or nine year long election cycle that feels like we've been in is what we're going to get is either uh, nothing, very little change or democratic changes on the federal side. But in either scenario, non-Republican legislative changes. Yep. I, I completely agree. I think that's, uh, that's a good prediction. All right. And then the other major event, at least to me, during the year, I think has been the Black Lives Matter movement. I, certainly to me, from my perspective, whether I'm right or not is maybe debatable, but from my perspective, it's been the major social issue uh, during the year and has had the most impact, certainly the most impact on on the broader country, but I think the most impact on um, society, generally speaking. And I, from from this perspective, I guess. So if you, uh, you know, you woke up January 1, 2020, you probably didn't predict it. It's unlikely that you predicted mass nationwide protests over uh, you know, racial justice in policing. I just don't think, you know, we've had it in isolated um, incidents in the past. Um, and it's, you know, so the, the, the protest is not unique, but the fact that it was so broad and so nationwide and so granular down to even small cities, uh, I don't think anybody would have expected that. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the pandemic definitely contributed to that, that finally this issue got the attention it needed. You know, with everyone being at home, some people not working, you're just, you know, scrolling on the news, you're, you're seeing what's happening day to day. And like you said, these incidences have happened before. And in the moment, they would get, you know, a, a lot of attention. And we would see a little bit of conversation going, and then it just dies out. And I think that's in a, a 
I guess you could say almost a silver lining of the pandemic is that it really did help spotlight that this issue that our country has been facing for so long that's needed the attention and, and to have these conversations. Um, it's unfortunate, I would say, that it happened during a federal election year because now the election kind of took over the news. And so again, we're seeing the conversation die out, but I think it's still there. And I think this was the year where we did see a lot of businesses and, and individuals making changes to finally get to the goal of having uh, racial justice. And it's, again, I, I hope the movement can kind of pick back up again now that the election is over with, um, but it's, it's definitely something that still needs to be you know, talked about and still needs to be addressed on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's, and I think we've talked about this too on the podcast of just my, my biggest concern is that it's going to just sort of be swept under the rug and we'll, as a society and a country, we'll conveniently forget about it. Or we will attach um, narratives to it that are, are not the right narrative. Okay. So what I mean is um, it'll be remembered as people throwing benches through shop windows and, and that'll be the focus rather than the fact that what it's really about is unjustified and racially motivated violence against members of our community. And that you, we can't stand for that. I don't understand any civil society that could stand for policing that uh, exercises the most uh, powerful arm of the state, of the government, the, the most intrusive use of government power against its citizens in a way that is not justified. And I don't, I don't see how anybody in any civilized society could stand for that. And that's, that's really the issue. That's the thing that sparked the protests. And you can attach any other meaning to it that you want, um, but that's the underlying issue. And regardless of what other meanings and what other sort of narratives you can wrap around it, um, I don't think that we're really doing ourselves any favors if, if we forget about the underlying issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we've talked about, you know, you and I on a podcast before that this is something we're still going to continually keep talking about. And when we're, you know, analyzing some of these issues in the law, you know, analyzing it from that perspective as well. And that is, is this inherently unfair to certain members of our society and bringing those issues up just so we can keep having this conversation so that in the future, again, we're taking steps towards the goal that we want. Yeah. And, and sorry, maybe just to, to flesh out one thing that I was, I was saying, and I, and I completely, sorry. And I, and I completely, completely agree with you. Like, I think you have to focus on the issue so you can frame it and come up with steps. Like what are action items? What can actually be done to fix this problem? Like that is necessary. And perhaps that is where the focus is right now because of the changed administration. And I'm just out of the loop and I don't know. But um, so just to sort of sort of compare this a little bit. So there's in a slightly different context, if, if you're thinking about like these are agents of the state government or the government exercising authority over citizens, you know, there's, there's great debate and very worthwhile debate over, say, the death penalty, okay? Um, and in both the death penalty and in the, in the outcomes of the interactions with police that sparked the Black Lives Matter protests, you're talking about state agents killing somebody, okay, in both instances. The difference really being that in the death, in, death penalty instance, uh, as flawed as the system may be, there is a system. Somebody did go through the court system. 
whether the court system is is working is a totally different debate, but they did go through the court system. In the instances that the Black Lives Matter movement was focused on, this is not somebody who had due process. This is not somebody who had a trial. This is not somebody who had the right to confront their accusers and cross-examine witnesses. This is somebody who was just shot extrajudicially. Um, and that is is a jarring outcome. And that that's a actually more egregious outcome than even a death penalty case. And again, there's there's very worthwhile debate around whether we should have the death penalty. But this is an even more egregious use of police power in a similar context where the outcome is a citizen is deceased. Yeah, what 100% absolutely. You know, we I feel like go you know going to law school and in deciding to become a lawyer it's because you believe in the justice system and you want to do good for society, right? Doesn't matter what type of law you're going to do, you want to uphold the rule of law. And if the rule of law is not even being applied, what kind of system is that? at all. And so, you know, you can't have someone being the the judge and, and the executioner all, all before that even gets into the process. You, you can't have that. That is not what our society is based upon. And I just, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. So that's, that was 2020, pretty heavy, heavy topics in 2020. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think those are the issues, at least certainly for our podcast and probably for a lot of our personal and professional lives. Those are the issues that that drove a lot of what we've been doing and talking about. It's been quite a year. It's been a, a maybe fortuitous year to pick to start doing a podcast because there was so much to talk about. And maybe next year will be really boring and we'll struggle to talk about anything. Who knows? <laughs> I don't think so. I think we've got a lot of good stuff planned. Yes, absolutely. I, I say that very tongue in cheek. Uh, we have plenty more to talk about. We have not even scratched the surface on uh, content and guests. Um, and we've got guests on our, our list who we we're going to get on in, in 2021 that we're very excited about um, to kick off 2021 sort of as a New Year's resolution type uh, topic. Uh, our first guest, just to tease it here, is George Grombacher, uh, who's going to talk us about how to become good with money, uh, which is a very apropos New Year's Eve, New Year's res or New Year's resolution uh, topic for a lot of folks. And George is the exact right person to do it with. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. Um, George is a great educator and a great speaker and a great interviewer and just a, a smart, curious person. He's a Investopedia top 100 financial advisor. So he's sort of the cream of the crop of the, the people who talk about this particular topic. So it's going to be a really good episode and a really good way to kick off 2021. I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. We've, we've got a lot of good stuff going for 2021. We've got a lot of fun ideas. Um, and the great thing about our industry is that I don't think we're ever going to run out of topics because any of the topics that we've already covered, if you just look at, oh, has there been a recent case? Oh, look, the laws changed. All right, let's analyze how now this has changed. So I feel like there's, there's plenty to talk about. Of course, if anyone has any ideas or any topics in particular that they would want us to talk about, we would love to hear about that. We really want to address issues that our listeners, um, de uh, care deeply about. So I, I look forward to 2021. We've got um, a lot of good stuff up our sleeve for the next year. 
Yep. Likewise, looking forward to it. Uh, thank you for doing the podcast and I'm looking forward to keeping it up. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, keeping me along and, and keep inviting me. I thought you would have kicked me off by like May, but <laughs> apparently I'm saying some okay things. So I'm glad we're, we made it to December. See, I thought, see, I thought there was going to be a coup and you were going to kick me off. Yeah. Wealth in law with Rachel Sass. <laughs> that could still happen, Brad. That's a 20. <laughs> yes. June 20. 2021. <laughs> the coup. <laughs> All right, Rachel. Well, as usual, thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.